Hi, I'm T2, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon because they're super gentle to my wires and boards. I think you should too. Go to patreon.com forward slash Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up podcast listeners, to this, the backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up podcast. I am John. Joining me, as always, is George. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going, guys? <laughs> Would not be a show without Mo. How's it going, everybody? It's going great. 35 years ago, the spirits of a deceased couple were being harassed by the family that moved into their home. Against their better judgment, they ultimately summoned a malicious spirit for help, but got way more than they bargained for. In this backtrack, we're looking back at the landmark Gen X supernatural comedy, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. <laughs> I'm only going to say it once. <laughs> Before we get into that, though, it is time for some fourth listener email. And this is a, uh, someone wrote in about a recent backtrack that we did. Brandon G hit us up, and the subject line of his email is Eddie Murphy's Delirious. Ooh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> right? Uh, here's what Brandon has to say. Guys, I am so glad you did an episode oh, about this classic stand-up <laughs> comedy special. <laughs> Woo, we're off the hook. Yeah, right. really, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you did this. Right? No, it wasn't that. Uh, Brandon says, it is my all-time favorite. The first time I saw it was when my older brother's friend brought it over on VHS. Oh, yeah. My brother put the tape in and told his friend and I that the plan was to mask the obscenities from our mother in the next room. We would just start coughing every time Eddie cursed. <laughs> they got COVID back in 1980. I know, really. <laughs> You're getting ahead of me. Needless to say, it was a stupid idea. We coughed so much that the living room sounded like the doctor's office during flu season, and my mom mm-hmm. heard all the cursing anyway. That's like some kids would come up with as a plan. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love how you guys connected the dots before I got there. Like, wait a minute, every time there's cursing, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brandon says, she he waited for a while and finally called out, boys, I hear that. Shut it off. But that didn't stop <laughs> us because later that night, after mom and dad went to bed, we popped the tape into the VCR in my bedroom and laughed our asses off. No coughing necessary. There you go. <laughs> he says, my favorite parts are the ice cream man and the G.I. Joe in the bathtub. I laughed oh, hysterically yeah. at both of those. <laughs> Thanks again for such a great episode and continued well wishes to all three of you. Brandon. Nice. <laughs> Cool. Nice. Thank you, Brandon. Those are exactly the kind of stories we love reading in emails that you heard this backtrack. You're like, oh my God, that's my thing, right? That's I love <laughs> my favorite, whatever. You never know which one you're going to hit on, but we hit for Brandon, his favorite stand-up special. We're glad we did. And thank you for writing in to let us know. Fourth listener, if you would like your email featured here on the show, it is so easy. You just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. We read every single one of them, and most of them, like Brandon's, will eventually make it to the show. All right. It is time to head back to 1988, 35 years ago, to the origin of Beetlejuice. Right after this. Stick around. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On Pressbox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Pressbox Access. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. From the director of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. When two ghosts can't talk the living into leaving their house. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? They call the ghost... Beetlejuice! ...with the most... Yeah! Can you be scary? What do you think of this? This is amazing. Michael Keaton... ...is a ghost called Beetlejuice. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. Rated PG. Sneak preview Saturday, March 26th. If you were alive in 1988 and you enjoyed any pop culture, you were definitely aware of Beetlejuice. It's like a film that defies categories. It's supernatural. It's a little bit horror, maybe. It's definitely a comedy. It's definitely fantasy. It's it's everything. And I think to everybody is probably why it ended up being so popular. 
And we're going to get into all of that. But first, George, as he often does, did the bulk of our research for us for this backtrack. <laughs> and this first bit that you you brought us really kind of talks about the situation with Tim Burton and what was going on with uh, with him as a director leading up to the origin of Beetlejuice getting off the ground. Yeah, so uh, it'll probably surprise some people to find out that Beetlejuice is not a Tim Burton creation. Yes, he directed it, but unlike Edward Scissorhands or Pee-wee's Big Adventure or anything, it wasn't like his like hmm. thing that he molded at the beginning. So he had just come off of being super financially successful from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which was 1985, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, that basically made him in Hollywood what they call a bankable director. Studios were okay with giving him <laughs> sure. projects yeah. because he had made them, right. right? Yeah. He started immediately to work on a script for Batman, which we know he made a little mm. bit later on and very right. successful and started the whole superhero franchise things that we <laughs> yeah. know. I mean, it was the first start, in my opinion, for a lot of yeah. that stuff. The first great one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Warner Brothers, they were willing to pay for its development, but they weren't quite ready to green light it yet. So he's like, all right, shit, I got to find something else to do. He kept getting scripts for different things. One of them, believe it or not, was this Richard Dreyfuss movie that I remember seeing on HBO called Hot to Trot. He got the script for that and said, nope, that's not for me. I'm passing <laughs> on that. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> but then David Geffen, the mm. head guy of Geffen Studios, came to him and said, hey, look, here's a script from this guy named Michael McDowell, who had just done a script for another thing called The Jar, uh, which was an old Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode. Hmm. He's like, I think this has something. Take a look at it and see what you think. And it was called Beetlejuice. Okay. Well, obviously, Burton said, <laughs> yep, that's exactly what I want to do with my life. Let's move into Beetlejuice. And I, I think it was the perfect casting of a director yeah. for mm -hmm. a script that you could ever imagine. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, before I did any digging at all, I thought it was his thing because it yeah, aligns so well with the tone of his movies, doesn't it? Yeah. Like a yeah. little weird and creepy and out of left field. So what a great fit. You're right. Yeah. I mean, even early days when they started doing test screenings, they said like they were all met with like just huge positive feedback, you know? Mm -hmm. And in fact, there's so mm -hmm. many, I think that the end credit scene where Beetlejuice like pisses off the witch doctor, he felt mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. after getting all those positive feedbacks, I guess he wanted to do some more work with them and just wanted to keep it going. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that wasn't even part of the original script it was just an extra epilogue to mm. the movie it was really fun now you want to talk about successful so beetlejuice budget was 15 million dollars which was a nothing. sizable but yeah. not crazy budget for yeah. that time yeah. period the interesting part though was they only gave a million dollars to the visual effects <laughs> and there's a lot of them there's a yeah. lot of them but that's exactly why some of them come off campy B movie style because Very Tim Burton so. mm -hmm. recognized that they only gave him a million dollars and he purposefully wanted to do a lot of the stop motion kind of stuff with mm -hmm. the sandworms and everything. Yep. He wanted to do them B movie style because he felt like it was funnier. So that was a it conscious works. decision even though it was kind of led there by the budget. Now, mm -hmm. you want to talk about it being a success. It was critical success, but also a commercial success. It grossed $74 million off of that budget, which is <laughs> $194 million today Man, yeah. on what would have been today a $39 million budget, $15 That's, million back then. So. Mm -hmm. Just That's enormous. ridiculous numbers. Good return on investment. Uh, especially for the type of film it was. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And hard to pigeonhole. Like, what kind of movie is it? Just go see it. Just go see it. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. go see it. You'll <laughs> love it. Right. It opened on that first weekend to $8 million that time, which is $20 oh, wow. million dollars today. Jeez. So imagine a $20 million opening weekend for a movie like Beetlejuice. It's no wonder that he didn't keep getting script after script after script after this. And this was really one of the reasons why Batman ended up getting greenlit later on. Yeah. Keep having success. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. This is not a flash in the pan. Pee Wee wasn't just, yeah. oh, just a, a fluke, right? It's like, and now I've done Beetlejuice. At that point, they could say, oh, it was it Pee Wee Herman that, that made that movie. It was Tim, Tim Burton, Burton uh -huh. that made it yep. successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And once Tim Burton got involved, this is another part that makes me probably always think of this as a Tim Burton originated thing is because he started bringing in his people. He got Danny Elfman to do the mm -hmm. soundtrack of this yeah. thing. How much more perfect? I mean, we've done a whole backtrack on Danny Elfman. He is an amazing composer. Yeah. Especially of the weird and quirky, right? He came yes. back to do Batman. He did Pee Wee's Big Adventure, right? He's done Edward Scissorhands. So much stuff for him. And the scores.
score for this is that same kind of, and even the Simpsons that uh, Elfman has done, yeah. all of his big scores sound like a maniacal calliope clown car kind of thing. It's kind of bouncy <laughs> and exciting and a little creepy and minor, yeah. right? It's that kind of thing. And you hear that throughout uh, Beetlejuice where you have that, it's like you could out of a lineup go play me three scores. Up, oh, that's an Elfman. And it is yeah. on full display in <laughs> Beetlejuice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was a partnership that they kept going for quite a few movies too. Yeah, oh, yeah. they continue to, yeah. And, you know, every movie goes through like casting choices, right? Like, oh, we didn't get our sure. A person, we got our B person. Sure. And that seemed, and that always works out better sometimes, right? Than what they expected. Right. But some of the things I'm reading about this, I, I'm wondering if this is true because this seems so bizarre. Like his original choice for Beetlejuice was Sammy Davis Jr.? Yeah, 100% true. <laughs> I mean, I was like, he liked <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. a lot. He was a big oh. fan of Sammy Davis Jr. And he always wanted to cast him. Remember, this is one of his early films. So he's trying to get to work with the people he admires. He, oh, it's yeah, not true. whether or not yeah, he's yeah. right for the role. He's like, I want to work with Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tried to imagine that. What would that look like? I mean, he'd be dancing. Sammy Davis Jr. could be kind of quirky. <laughs> It'd be more dancing. Think about right? it, though. Sammy Davis Jr. was coming off of a significant comedy run in films. He had done the Cannonball Run movies. Mm-hmm. That's true. Right. So, yeah. That's and true. he can be quirky. He was a moderately bankable film comedy guy. Yep. Yeah. I can see that, I guess. And then the producers also consider like Dudley Moore and Sam Kennison, which also, <laughs> I, I just don't oh. see it. <laughs> I have a hard time. Oh. I mean, Sam Kennison would just be insane, but I could see Sam Kennison dancing to that whorehouse. Oh, oh yeah. man. I would love to visit a parallel universe where Sam Kennison is Beetlejuice. That is something <laughs> I, I don't want to replace Keaton, but I want to visit a world where he is Beetlejuice. Mm. That would be absolutely bananas. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I would be in for that. Deadly Moore. He's too dry. Yeah. He, yeah. He's kind of, yeah, kind of flat. And yeah. yeah, I think of him as, like, yeah, he's, no, not Let him do the next author sequel and we'll keep yes, Sam Kinison for the <laughs> yes, Beatles yeah, yeah, yeah. in the alternate universe. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, I mean, to your point, though, one of the reasons why I say you got to keep Michael Keaton in the role in your Earth Prime universe, wherever you're at. <laughs> yes. You know, where we live. all of those great lines that he did. I'm the ghost with the most, babe, and all yeah. that kind of <sighs> stuff. It was very much like what Bob Euchre did in Major League. 90% of those lines were ad-libbed. Holy shit. Tim Burton just gave him the reins and said, fuck it. We're just going to keep rolling. Do what you want. And like, you think about that scene where he's meeting the Maitlands for the first time. And yes, they're like, what are your qualifications? Well, I attended Juilliard and I yeah. did. <laughs> That's all ad lib. That's yeah. crazy. I'm puzzled. You're talking to a dead guy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, he's such an iconic piece of this movie that it stunned me to read that in this film, which is about 85 minutes, I think it's a almost full yeah. hour and a half movie. Yeah, yeah. 14.5 minutes of him on screen. That's it. Yeah. That's it. But when you bring him out, it's like, look, we don't bring out the big guns for every scene, yeah. but when we need him, we bring him mm-hmm. out and he, and he absolutely he steals it. the show. Yeah. He oh, stole every yeah. scene. He yeah. stole every scene. Yeah, I mean, doubt. he's the name of the movie, of course, but he's only in it when you absolutely have to be there. His his shadow is cast over the film the entire time because mm-hmm. you know he's out there and you know he's coming right. and you know they're going to summon him, but you don't spend a lot of time with him so that when you do, the impact is like, boom, a a nuclear bomb just went off and here's Mm. Keaton doing his thing. And it was staggering. Yeah. I I thought it was... I thought that was really funny that, look, it was called Beetlejuice. Even initially, it was called Beetlejuice. And initially, they were going to call it the constellation, Beetlejuice. And of course, we were talking before, George learned that test audiences called it Beetlegeist. Beetlegeist. Yeah. Just like right. Alec Baldwin's character did in the movie when he mispronounced yeah. it. Right. And I'm like, that's confusing. So we'll call it Beetlejuice, spelled the way it is. They wanted to call, they thought about calling it House Ghosts. Not eh. bad. Except that's mm. what the studio wanted that. The studio did, right. Yeah. Burton right. said, that's garbage. Let me give them a worse title so they'll fall back to Beetlejuice he said how about scared sheetless and the studio went first of all it's funny right the no feet picture that's all cool right. the studio was like oh that's not too bad and Burton's like oh no 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 no, no I was kidding <laughs> fall back to Beetlejuice which it ultimately was but look house ghost sounds kind of lame I could I would have watched scared sheetless that's kind of funny I would have seen that but name it after Beetlejuice I'm glad it stayed yeah. there in our prime universe yeah yeah I mean Tim Burton also he's kind of a master of subtleties there's a lot of different things 
that he does in his films that you have to really have a quick eye. You have to maybe hit that pause button on your VCR Mm -hmm. to be able to Mm -hmm. see. Uh, John, for you, something that's in this movie that you get to see in one of your favorite movies later on, there's a place where there's like a little... um, the circus kind of thing where the horses spin around and stuff. Uh, what carousel. Are those carousel? carousel. Carousel. Thank you. Uh-huh. The very top of it is a skull. That skull is the same one that got used for the drawing designs of Jack Skellington from Nightmare really? Before Christmas later on. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's very cool. <laughs> but one of the cute little things that are, to me, that kind of warms my heart. You know how the Maitlands die? They, they're going mm-hmm. back home after stopping by the store. They go through the bridge. There's a dog in front of them. They swerve to avoid the dog. They go through the sidewall of the tunnel bridge thing, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they drown in the river. Well, the bumper sticker on the back of their car says, I break for animals. <laughs> True <laughs> like, to their word. Maybe you shouldn't have broken for that yeah, damn dog. Yeah. <laughs> in hindsight. And, and then that dog is standing on the oh, lever that's keeping yeah. them from falling. What and the dog just kind of looks at him and goes, nah, screw you guys. Yeah. The dog takes off. <laughs> I was looking up how you talked about the financial success. And I want to check on the critical success. And uh, I go to the aggregator of all things, movies, Rotten Tomatoes. And had I looked at this a week ago before I rewatched the film, I might have felt it was kind of low. But in rewatching it, I think this is a really strong and representative number. Mm-hmm. Pretty close. 86% critics, 82% audiences. Yeah, that's pretty it good. It is kind of a B-movie kind of thing. The beauty of this is in the effects and mm-hmm. the performances. I don't think yeah. it's the most polished script ever. I don't think it's the most polished dialogue ever, though there are some notable pieces of dialogue. There's some good, yeah. Right. As a whole, though, 86 feels like a respectable number for this movie, and it sounds oh, about sure. right. And I, it, it, In fact, I think early on, even after the... It, it wasn't a huge hit when it first came out. It gained acclaim after people started to see it more. And it's likely because it's hard to describe. What kind of movie is it? It did do $8 million opening weekend. So it wasn't not a hit either. Right, it wasn't a flop. pretty solid for 88. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think between an 85 and a 90 is where I would have put the score. Somewhere like around 87 Mm -hmm. and a half or so. So 86 is right. Not too far off. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And you talk about like how was people thought of the movie. I mean, it was up for a whole bunch of awards and it won a whole bunch too, but actually it was, I didn't realize this. It was Tim Burton's first Oscar was for this one, which was for best makeup. It's for best makeup, you know, not director or anything like that, but it was the first movie he was associated with that actually won an Oscar though. That, you know, and that's, I mean, he said at that point, it's like, oh, we won an Oscar. I'm doing Batman. I mean, you know, (laughs) right. Right. For the Oscar winning director, well, sort of (laughs) Tim Burton. Right. (laughs) All right. I think we set the stage pretty well. We know the premise, what's going on. We get back from this break. We're going to talk about the amazing characters and the actors that brought them to life. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show, too. It helps more than you know. Showtime. Everyone loves Beetlejuice. Hilarious, a much bigger gut buster than Ghostbusters, declares the village voice. An uproarious ghost comedy. Nothing like it since Ghostbusters, says the Los Angeles Times. This is amazing. Thank you. And USA Today calls Beetlejuice original, imaginative, and crowd-pleasing. Michael Keaton is... I'm the ghost with most, babe. Beetlejuice, rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you. You brought up earlier, John, that, you know, it was really like the acting, I think, that really made this movie. I mean, this 
could have been a mm-hmm. really bad movie with weaker actors, I think, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, easily, easily. And everybody, like, <laughs> I mean, this one had a young Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. As the main character, Adam Maitland. They were almost like Ozzy and Harriet couple, right? I mean, they were they just were like super, very much. They played off each other so well. Yeah, yeah, they played just so well together. You, I believe that they were a happy couple. I mean, it's, like I said, mm-hmm. it just it, they just pulled it off so well. That made it their situation that much more funnier. That was such a big contrast. Mm-hmm. But again, it was I think it was Alec Baldwin's just his the way he acted it and the way he carried off the role that really helped. I mean, it really shows how much of an awesome actor he is, because in hindsight, we know nobody is happy being married to Alec Baldwin at this point. <laughs> yes. Good point. So Valid point. Valid point. <laughs> There's even a scene where it's right toward the beginning. And it's uh, I think it's before they die, actually, when somebody's at the door and they're this happy couple yeah. up in the attic mm-hmm. and they're like, better get the door. Oh, no. And they're playing a little grab ass yeah. and they're kissing. And they're like, you go get the door. Ha ha ha. And then like she goes to answer and he kind of smacks her on the on the butt a little bit. Like they're just this fun, very happy couple. And it takes yeah. it takes work to do that on screen when you're not a real couple. Even if you are, it takes work. <laughs> so you got to sure. give that credit to the lead actors. Yeah, I mean, and the other half of that couple is Gina Davis, who yeah. mm-hmm. in the 80s, Gina Davis was mm. awesome. As, oh, yeah. I mean, she was in a lot of really great roles, a lot of quirky roles. Mm-hmm. And there's even like Tim Burton recognized who she was and he added some stuff to the movie specifically calling out some of her past. So you remember Mm. she was in a movie with Jeff Goldblum called The Fly, right? Yes. Yeah, of course. So there's a line where Beetlejuice, remember he's in his grave and he's calling the little fly over and he pulls the fly into the grave and eats him. And you hear the fly going, help me, help me. That's a direct (laughs) callback. To the line from The Fly because Gina Davis was in that movie. I've seen that so many times and never made that connection. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I figured it was a Fly reference. I I I kept thinking the original movie, like not Gina Davis. I was like, oh, "Oh, that makes sense. Right. It's it's really awesome. But Gina Davis is, I mean, we, I remember from stuff like, uh, what was that? Hotel Transylvania or Transylvania 65,000, whatever that thing was. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, League you know, of the fly, like we later. talked about. Yeah. 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 In this movie, tourist. it's really fun because I feel like Alec Baldwin is kind of the indecisive part mm-hmm. of the couple and she is the one who gets shit done like yeah. when he mm. steps off the porch the first time when they're dead she yanks him back from the sandworm yep and she's like oh adam uh, no we can't let you know beetlejuice have winona Ryder's character because he's yeah. evil and she's a great person and i want to be with her she's the one making decisions for the couple in a lot of scenes yeah. and I think she comes off much stronger than her character might have been written just from her presence as an actress. Mm. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate her. Mm-hmm. And isn't she the one that first pulls the trigger and summons Beetlejuice? She's the one who finally makes the call. Yeah, because she's tired of just sitting around trying to read the yep. book that reads like stereo instructions. Like she's you said, fed it, up with yeah. that whole situation. Yeah. I made the decision. <laughs> We're going to do it. Yeah. And then, of course, she does. And. It's not the first time we see Beetlejuice, but we finally see him in action. But Michael Keaton, the next one on our mm-hmm. list, who plays, Jeez. obviously, Beetlejuice. What a weird, cryptic, off-the-wall character. And I just rewatched this the other night, and I have no trouble believing it was improvised, but I was watching that, and I could see a less courageous actor not playing this role so far over the top. Mm-hmm. But he does. He's dancing mm-hmm. around. He's doing crazy stuff. He's making up voices. He's doing all... And, and it, I bought it. It didn't, yeah. I wasn't yeah. like if somebody who's not that great would do that. I'm like, oh, I'm so embarrassed for you, you know, doing something. Yeah. I never watch it with a critical eye like I did last week, but him in this role is just Michael Keaton absolutely balls to the wall doing, you know, they say on stage, do it bigger, do it bigger. He did it like he was on stage. Everything was bigger yeah. and louder and or ostentatious. And for a guy that was only on screen, what we say, 14 minutes of the whole movie, you don't walk out there forgetting him. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, we need to spend a lot of time on Michael Keaton because without him, I don't think this movie is even in our lexicon at this point. If you don't have Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice, I mean, maybe Sam Kinison. We talked about that earlier. (laughs) One of the things that I find the most interesting when I'm looking up factoids and doing research and everything, you know how Michael Keaton's character of Beetlejuice has that distinctive look, right? He's got the electrified frizzy hair. Mm -hmm. He's got the mold all over his face. Looks like he's been through some shit. 
shit, right? <laughs> yeah. That was all Michael Keaton's idea. He came really? to set day one, kind of had done himself up that way. I mean, not to the extreme that he is in the film, but he kind of done himself up that way, walked up to Burton and said, hey, this is kind of what I had in mind for the Beetlejuice character. And Tim Burton says, oh, shit, go straight to makeup and tell him to do this, but slightly better. Right. And exaggerated. That's You're how right. he ended up. Yeah. I mean, it. The man, he has an incredible range, right? You talk about Mr. Mom, Gun-Ho, Batman, Beetlejuice, all the way up to the stuff he's done present day in Marvel and other Mm -hmm. uh, franchises. He's got an incredible range. Is there anything Michael Keaton can't do as an actor? I don't think there is. I, I remember walking out of the theater scenes the first time, and it was one of the first times I'm like, not every actor could have done that. You know, I mean, right. like, mm-hmm. it, it like occurred to me. I'm like, not like that was something special, the person who could do that role. And, and they said, John, right. like, pull it off so you believed it. You know, mm-hmm. it was, yeah. it was j- like a little bit more, probably would have been too much. You know, a little bit less probably wouldn't have been enough. I mean, he hit right. just exactly where that character needed to be. And I had no idea he had also contributed to the look. I didn't either. Which yeah. means that not only did he embody the character, he brought his imagination of its outward manifestation, his appearance. So it's even more, he's even more responsible for that character than I even knew before this mm-hmm. podcast, yeah. which is, look at the cool shit we learned in this podcast. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll start listening to it. Yeah, you should, George. It's really interesting. You might enjoy it. So, I mean, and we have to talk about the other major people in this movie. So we're not a writer. We're in for mm, early, early casting. roles. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, one of her early, I think she had done like one or two things before this, but nothing huge. Like this is, I think, what catapulted her into the limelight. Lydia. Perfect casting. Absolutely mm. perfect. She pulled the, the sort of deadpan sort of angsty kid thing perfectly. And at the end, even when she had to be like kind of not, she kind of, you know, was better at the end movie. She pulled that off too. I mean, she just did like just an amazing job. And I really liked her character. Mm-hmm. You want to hear some of the other people that were considered for that role? Oh my God. That you would never have believed? <laughs> oh my God. Who? <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker, Brooke Shields, Lori Laughlin, Diane Lane, Justine Bateman, Molly Ringwald, Juliette Lewis, and Jennifer Connelly. All were considered for that Juliette Lewis, maybe. That one I can almost see. I can almost see that one. Yeah. None of the The other ones really struck me. Eventually, the runner-up was Alyssa Milano. She was the runner-up. Like if, oh, really? if what a bad whatever, fit. If Winona Ryder bowed out, got sick, mm-hmm. had COVID, what the fuck ever, <laughs> it would have been <laughs> Alyssa Milano. But just, I mean, all of those people are fine actresses. Every single one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not for not for the weird and strange character yeah. of Lydia Dietz. Well, the thing about it is you, you have to be deadpan and flat and not want to talk and communicate, but be able mm-hmm. to communicate with the rest of your performance because she was disappointed affected. She was not participating. She didn't want to be there. She didn't want to talk to people, but through her body language and the small things she did say and do, you understood her character. And that was something that, I mean, like Michael Keaton, Winona Ryder brought into the character that you otherwise might not have gotten out of another actress that didn't have that in them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and props to whoever made the casting decision, because if that was the other people up for it, I mean, they were all established people. Easy to pick them. Yeah. She was pretty much an unknown for the most part. So, you know, you know, props to whoever made that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, they they made some really solid choices. The next one, I think he played a great role, although he's a hard guy to see in many things. Jeffrey Jones. So most people know mm-hmm. him most famously as the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Yeah. Nine yep. times. It's that hey. guy. And Amadeus. He plays the father, Charles Dietz. I liked him in the role. I thought he was a good counterbalance to Alec Baldwin's character. Mm-hmm. I think you could have had other people, though, and you might not have changed the film that much. As Probably. like if you didn't have Michael Keaton or you didn't have Winona Ryder in those roles, that would have completely changed the film. Jeffrey Jones, solid actor, enjoyed him in a lot of 80s stuff. It could have been almost anyone, though. And I think that's a factor of the character because. This is Lydia's dad, Charles. He isn't a force that moves the story forward, really. He kowtows to the wife and to the daughter and to what they want and his business partners and stuff. He's just trying to satisfy everybody. He's like a little yes Mm -hmm. man that sees a little opportunity to do something. So since you don't have to be the one that pushes the story, I think that's probably why of many of the main characters, he was probably, he was the most replaceable because he, the character had the least to do. He was just kind of there. Uh, Although because he was so deadpan, I think at the, toward the end when the Maitlands are like falling apart, you know, the the Mm decaying, he was the one that said, we should stop this, you know, which I was like, that's true. And and that part, I was like, wow, that's kind of a little like, huh, you know, of all the times for him to stand up, I was like, okay, like, wow, I'm back 
backbone. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Didn't know you had one. Uh, up next is Charles's wife, Delia Dietz. This was the character that was pushing oh. the story. Yeah. This is Catherine O'Hara. Uh, most recently, probably famous for her role in uh, Schitt's Creek. She's mm-hmm. also a regular in the uh, uh, the Christopher Guest films, you know, the, all that uh, Waiting for Guffman and oh, yeah. uh, oh, Spinal yeah. Tap and all those films, mm-hmm. right? So she's a regular player in that. But in this, she was the catalyst that was making these things happen. She was the one with the creepy art. She was the one that wanted the house redecorated. She was the one that absolutely wanted to get into the attic. She's the one that told Lydia, go and get your ghost. We decided to do this kind of thing. Yeah. Right. She was the one that's brow beating the husband that was yeah. making the Maitland so upset. And I found her performance to be irritating in the way mm-hmm. that I think it was supposed to be. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, I didn't like her, but I wasn't supposed to. So, Right. <laughs> One of the best examples of that thought is when she is walking around with Otho and they come up to the, her husband's room, the room he's designated as his office, kind of relaxation yeah. space. And she's like, if you do not let me gut this house, I will go insane and I will take you with me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, just give me this room. <laughs> right. And you know, that's not the first time he's heard that threat. <laughs> no, no, no. And she means it. Like, I don't think oh, it's yeah. an idle threat. Oh, no, yeah, not definitely not yeah. idle. And she's so disrespectful to the Maitland's house. She's going through with a spray paint mm-hmm. and going, mauve on this wall. You're like, you couldn't just right. say it. You had to deface the wall before mm-hmm. you did it. That's why she angered the, them so much. It's not just you moved in the house, but they're absolutely demolishing any remnant of the fingerprint they put on the house. Yeah. And, and- Back to your early point, George, about like how anybody could have probably played Charles Dietz. I, I think you're right because they needed that character to almost be like background because of Catherine yeah. Harris' character. To be right? overshadowed yeah. by Catherine they, they needed yeah. somebody who could sort of shrink back and he played that really well. I mean, that's kind of what he does. Yeah. But yeah, but again, and Catherine, when she did the whole singing possessed mm-hmm. scene. Lip synky stuff. Yeah. I was like. It was actually her that suggested that music, by the way. Oh, really? That's awesome. She's the one who suggested Calypso for that scene. It was supposed to be a completely different form of music. And she said, well, why don't we do Calypso? And that's how the whole thing got into the <laughs> Harry Belafonte soundtrack. It was a perfect fit, and too. Is it? Like, I always felt it was a weird so. fit, which is why it was crazy. It's like, where did that come from out of nowhere? Yeah. But that's perfect, though. It's weird that's why. It's in so the weird left movie. Field. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's actually the Maitlands trying their best to figure out how do we haunt? I don't know. Calypso music? Like they're just pulling straws because they don't know what to do. I had read that uh, Harry Belafonte, he was approached by David Geffen, who was the one who got got Burton involved and said, we're thinking of Calypso. You have this great library of music. And he had said, I talked to David Geffen. He explained it. I'd understand it, but I like the man. So I told him, let's do it. So that's how his music got in the movie. There you go. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, now you look at some of the secondary characters. And again, they're all just all quirky, funny, just great people. But um, Glenn Shaddix, <laughs> who played Ortho, his oh, character yeah. Oh, yeah. was, <laughs> that was also really good casting. You know, that yeah. was just really, his really, really from good the casting. movie is one of the best non-death exits of any oh, film yeah. of that era. <laughs> <laughs> Leisure suit. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. That, yes, I. That's, that's what I was going to say. It was that it was funny that when Beetlejuice was doing all this crazy stuff, I don't want to spoil anything we're going to talk about later. He's doing things spoil to scare it. people. It's 35 years old. It's okay. <laughs> well, last time I talked about a 40-year-old movie, you're like, you stole my thunder. So I don't want to spoil it for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but the, my point <laughs> is, is Beetlejuice is trying to do things to scare everyone and do the things that might scare the most. The scariest thing for Otho was a bright day glow pink suit or yellow suit or whatever leisure it was. Suit. He has a leisure suit. Powder, Powder blue leisure suit. Leisure suit. Powder blue, yep. right. It was like, that's the thing scariest to him because that is too mainstream <laughs> and too upbeat, which I thought was a great bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got great characters. Otho is certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other unsung supporting characters that has some great moments in the film that progressed the storyline along was Sylvia Sidney as Juno. She's the caseworker with the slashed oh, throat yes. where smoke yes, yes, yes. comes yes. out of her throat. Her. <laughs> because if you think about it, all of these characters kind of come in pairs, right? So you've got the Maitlands, that's the husband and wife. Mm-hmm. You've got mm-hmm. the Dietzes, the husband and wife. Mm-hmm. Beetlejuice and Lydia are certainly a yep. pair, yep. right? 
Then you've got Otho and Juno that are pairs for the progressions of the two different cats. Otho, he's the guy pushing the Dietzes, and Juno is the one pushing the Maitlands. The Maitlands. Right? Oh, yeah. All of yeah. these characters yeah. kind of come Parallel in stories. pairs throughout the whole thing. It's really smart the way that the writer, the screenplay guy, and Tim Burton pushed all of this stuff there. There's no point in talking about Juno forever because she she has like maybe six minutes in the film total. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I just wanted to point out that they did such a smart job with the casting, but not just the casting, but how the characters work together. And memorable. Yeah. So, so John, did you think that George would have such like amazing insight into this movie? <laughs> I'm a little surprised. <laughs> That was an amazingly good point he just made. <laughs> I mean, I only watch movies like 22 hours a day. <laughs> Look, I never underestimate George's knowledge of movies. I, that's one thing I've never that done. That was amazing good insight. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> I learned something. Yeah. Hey, see, there, see George, you ought to listen to this show. It's really fascinating. You learn a lot. Uh, we had a couple of secondary characters that were surprising, uh, and they were yeah. both these business partners who came to the dinner party that all got in on the whole Deo thing with the mm -hmm. shrimp hands and all the cool stuff. And they were people that you might not necessarily expect to see in a movie like this or a movie in general. Mm -hmm. Robert Goulet was one of the guys, <laughs> right? one of the one of the guests, played Maxie Dean. And yep. I remember looking at him and going, "Is that Robert Goulet? Robert Goulet. <laughs> <laughs> is it I did really?" Too. Like, like, oh my God, it is. The last time I saw him was on a swamp boat in Scrooged. Where, what the hell is he doing here, right? <laughs> What's he doing here? Yeah, and another odd, I mean, it worked, but Dick Cavett. Was What's Bernard. he doing I mean, there? What the hell is Dick Cavett right. doing there? I mean, the last time I saw him was my dad used to watch Dick Cavett show way yeah, back right. in the day. But that I, I didn't know he was still alive, quite honestly. So I was like, I mean, oh, wow, you he's got to figure it, it had to be something to do with Tim Burton admiring was, him from his I was year. wondering. It, maybe, yep. yeah. It's yeah. got to be something like that. I mean, I, there's nothing I can find that says that. But considering what he did with some of the rest of his casting, I would mm -hmm. think that played a part in it. Now, for me... One of them, it's a very forgettable character, but I wanted to bring it up just briefly because it's played by two people to form one character. Mm. Uh, the Preacher. This is the weird little short creature that comes out of the warped fireplace to marry Beetlejuice no, right, and right. Lydia, right? Oh, at the very end. Yeah, towards the very end. end. Yes. Very end. Yes, yes. This character inside the suit was played by Tony Cox. Now, you guys might remember him. He was the elf from Bad Santa. Mm -hmm. He was also oh, sure. uh, in Time yeah. Bandits, and he mm -hmm. was in um, one of the Friday movies, you know, the Chris Tucker films yep. with Ice yep. Cube and stuff. Mm -hmm. He's just a tremendous actor. I've loved watching him for years. He was inside the suit. The voice, however, of the preacher was mm -hmm. played by Jack Angel. Now, why does that name sound familiar to uh -huh, anybody who yeah. listens to this show, unlike me, is <laughs> he was one of the main voice acting guys from the Super Friends. Hey, he we played both Hawkman and Flash. <laughs> okay, that's why it sounds familiar. Yeah. Yep, yep. Exactly. <laughs> yep, make the connection. Oh, it's it's the big mm -hmm. Gen X grown-up multiverse. All these people keep coming that's back. That's right. <laughs> yeah. There was one more little character that I thought we should talk about before we get out of this segment that didn't have a huge role, but I think it's interesting that you'll remember there's a receptionist in the afterlife mm -hmm. that you mm -hmm. go to and she's got a, a like a, a beauty pageant thing on, right? Yeah, right. That was Patrice Martinez. And I like the interesting little conceit that the reason all these people that have either been run over or their their uh, throat is slit or their wrist, she had her wrist. She said, mm -hmm. my accident, she sewed her and wrist. My is that that's what happens when you commit suicide. You become a social worker. <laughs> yeah. You become <laughs> just like uh, Sylvia Sidney, who was the, the worker. She obviously must have cut her own throat i guess yeah so everybody was if you commit suicide that's what you end up doing yeah you wind up in middle middle management <laughs> middle man <laughs> there you are that's all right hell. hey yeah so much great talent i think we've done this many times in the show we get back from the break let's each champion one scene or section of the film that we find most interesting or most enjoyable and we'll talk a little bit about those so think about what you want to pick and we'll do it right after this break you've got questions we've got answers Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. 
Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at GenXGrownUp.com. Yahoo! It's showtime! Hey, annoying hombres making you do stuff you hate? Don't lose your head. Make them history. Ah! Think that's scary? Watch this! Whoa! That went right through me! Did you see that? Now watch this. First, a double team! Ah! Now, a double scare! Ah! Nobody beats me! Ah! So when you want to scare somebody, give me a call. Beetlejuice! 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 Gaggle! And we're back, and just as promised, we've uh, taken the break to think about what is our most memorable or our favorite segment from the movie. And so, coincidentally, we've arranged them in sequence in the movie as they happen. So <laughs> let me start with you, Mo. What is your right. uh, favorite kind of segment you want to champion? There was a lot of them, but one that sticks out, though, mm-hmm. is the waiting room for the dead. You know, when okay. they, yeah. when they oh, draw, yeah. they, you have to draw a door, you know knock three times and go in mm-hmm. and basically and that's where we come i mean to me there's just so much humor because you see all the people like char guy you know the guy who's char, like yeah. burned right. to death apparently and mm-hmm. the, half a person the other the guy day who choked on the big chicken bone yeah, in the his big neck. chicken neck, <laughs> stuck in his in neck. yeah um and that's where you learn about you know the whole you know if you commit suicide you wind up being a mm-hmm. social worker you work for the government right. you know, kind of thing mm-hmm. and to me it's just like it was just neat because they had obviously because of budget they probably had to go with a lot of practical effects like makeup mm-hmm. and that's probably sure. where the makeup Which award worked. came from for all this yeah and just that, and also, and part of that was just meeting Juno, because I just loved her character. Sure. Mm-hmm. She was just so, like, just the tough woman who smoked and smoked him out of her neck. Yeah. She had cut and her she's neck so in. over it. She's so disaffected. She's like, right. you ignorant people. You didn't read the book. What do you want from me? Kind of thing. She's, she's seen this a yeah. million times. She's been through this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's one of mine for sure. You know, Mo, it's funny that you picked that scene because there's a little piece of trivia there. You notice how in that scene, we understand that the reception she informs us this is what death looks like for this person mm-hmm, what death mm-hmm. looks like for those people because as people die that's how they are in their afterlife remember flat pancake guys yes. like mm-hmm. i'm feeling a little flat <laughs> right? but who out of all the dead people do we see does not have their death look be permanent throughout the movie the maitlands yeah the maitlands. they are they not dry wet. out yeah, they, they dry start, out. Right, yeah, they don't yeah. stay wet throughout the whole film. That was a practical reason. Tim Burton felt it would be too cruel mm. to keep Alec Baldwin and oh, Gina damn. Davis wet throughout the entire <laughs> film. It would make them too uncomfortable. So he said, nope, we're just going to let them stay dry. Mm-hmm. But everybody else had to live their death forever. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they died when the car hit the water, hit their head, died immediately. So they didn't get wet. Eh, but maybe. they were wet at yeah. first. When, they, when we first got back to the house, they were wet. I hadn't thought about yeah, that. They I know, did I know. I was yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're trying to help. I know I am. How about you, John? What was yours? Uh, so mine is uh, two little pieces that are together for two different reasons, but they they chain together. So the first part is the seance where like, okay, mm-hmm. if the ghosts won't come out, we're going to get them. Oh, yeah. So they get Otho to perform a seance. They bring the wedding clothes that they found in the closet. Mm-hmm. And as he's doing the seance, the clothes are filling out and then they're getting old and they're starting to decay. And first I thought that was so weighty. Like it was such a dramatic part. It was played for the, the effects were kind of B-movie you know like you had said the guy's jaw falls Mm -hmm. off at one point it's kind of over the top but there were stakes like you're literally killing these ghosts now you Mm -hmm. bring them in and it was a scary segment in a movie that was a supernatural thing that wasn't necessarily scary even though it was about ghosts so I like the tonal shift there you're like oh shit's getting real was the feeling Mm -hmm. I got and that was the impetus that made Lydia finally decide to summon Beetlejuice herself Mm. and that little scene that little moment where it's cutting back and forth between she says Beetlejuice and it cuts to him kind of sitting there going, huh, is it about to happen? And she says it again, Beetlejuice. And then he does that thing that's like, he's brushing off his sleeves. Yeah. He's like, oh boy, here we go. He's like really ready. <laughs> and then she says it a third time, it's showtime. And that yeah. is just right. so, I get chills now thinking about it because the character is so manic. You've seen what he's kind of capable of. And now he's been welcomed into the real world by this girl. And oh shit. And I felt it. And I felt in his 
in his eyes and in, in Michael Keaton's performance, this guy is about to absolutely unleash everything he's been wanting to unleash on anybody's in front of him. And you mm. know it's about to go sideways. And the way it's played, it goes from that twist that gets dark to the revelation that Lydia's going to do it, to him going manic and breaking loose. I just think that's a great segment in there that builds and builds and it pays off in the rest of the movie. Mm. This would have been my pick if you didn't pick it first because- Really? Like you said, yeah. yeah because when she says Beetlejuice, and the thing is that he's like, when he, he says it, his head, he's like, okay, she's going to do it. Like it was, he mm-hmm. wasn't even manic. Really. He was super calm. Like he's just first. brushing yeah, himself yeah. off calmly. And then when he just says, you know, it shows, it was, he said it so creepily, but he just said it yeah. like just calm. Like, like, yeah. you know, and I said at that point in the movie, I'm like, uh oh, like this is not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a random question. Yes, yes. I have to ask this. Goulet, DeCavett, you know, when they, they're in the, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the carnival game where they get shot through the roof. Yes. Yeah. The, the hammer well, thing. So Cavett's not in that scene, but that's Goulet and Goulet's wife character. The Goulet and his wife, right? Yeah. Did they die? <laughs> they don't say. Yeah. I'm just saying, what yeah. happened to them? Like, so mm. as far as we know, nobody actually dies in the film. Okay. We except never the see any deaths except for the Maitlands and the people who are already dead. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, okay. I was just curious because they go flying off. So, yeah. <laughs> so George, what about you? Favorite segment? of the movie same favorite part I, I do have a favorite part it's actually you know I know you started off the thing saying we put these in order this is not in order yours actually no, comes not. toward the end of the movie okay. mine right, is right. in the middle of the movie but it's ah, understandable yeah. because it's probably hard to un- figure out which scene I'm talking about from the description I put in okay. my favorite scene is when Beetlejuice first meets the Dietzes and when he first meets them is when the Maitlands summon him and he comes out and he talks them and they are on that little railway of the second floor balcony where he becomes the snake. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the mother is touching the snake's body and she looks down. Yeah. And all the crazy stuff that Michael Keaton does in that point as the snake character is just absolutely hilarious to me. It's one of my favorite lines that's in there that I used to use all the time when I was in high school or, or like early college. Hey, Chuck, we've came for your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> 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 great little <laughs> Uh, the part where like he slides underneath the Dietz's mother's like dress and she's like, ah, she covers herself and runs in the other room. Right. He snaps Otho in the butt with his snake tail and sends yep. him down the stairs. It's, it's all great. And that's when then the Maitlands come out and Gina Davis as the mm-hmm. action one of the couple, mm-hmm. she says his name three times to make him disappear. And he's like, Oh no. And like the <laughs> witch from wizard of Oz, you know, you're melting. And he goes back and the rail forms. And that's when they decide, okay, we don't like Beetlejuice. We can't have him going after yeah. Lydia and her family, you know, he's this guy's crazy. And yeah. they, they decide to do their own thing from that point forward. But I love that scene because there are so many different like fast moving points that happen mm-hmm. in like mm-hmm. literally two minutes, maybe three total. And the funny thing to me is I found out later on that snake head that was not originally based on Michael Keaton's face, because at the time when they were creating that stuff, Michael what? Keaton hadn't been cast yet. They were still trying to figure out Sammy Davis <laughs> Jr. or luck. Dudley Moore or who the fuck ever was going to play Beetlejuice. Oh, so they had to go back and like redo him. that stuff. Oh, they redo oh, okay, it. Okay. Oh, so initially <laughs> oh, okay. it wasn't. Because I'm like, yeah, it looked okay. just like him. Why yeah, no, oh, like, How do they do that? Yeah. yeah. So initially it was Sammy Davis snake or something. <laughs> right. <yeah>. Dudley Moore <laughs> snake. And Dudley that's Moore. why you have, you know, the Dietz's mother when she comes at the end of the film and scares the husband mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. snake mm-hmm. prop yeah, that she's head. done as one of her sculptures, you know. I just love that scene. It It's kind of, to me, it's the turning point of the start of the second act of the movie. And I mm-hmm. thought they did it beautifully. Well, it's how you find out what he's capable of, and just mm-hmm. like the Maitlands mm-hmm. did, and go, oh, now we know not to do it. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, was, it was actually surprised that he was actually violent. Yeah. They said he knocked the guy down the stairs. He was doing like, I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, he, he, this guy is definitely is like bad news here. Yep. Yeah. And you see later on, like when the Maitlands are like, he's in their little diorama thing that's up in the attic and she grabs him and she's like, you leave her alone. And then he puts out the spikes out <laughs> the of his spikes, body. Right. To, yeah. It's really yeah, cool. I mean, yeah. he is absolutely an evil character. Michael Keaton said that he pretended that his character was not of any time. He's been around for almost forever. Mm. And mm-hmm. the stuff that he's gone through, like he talks about in that one little scene, you know, went through the black plague and blah, blah, blah. 
it's all just made him absolutely no morals whatsoever. He just like, there's no consequences for me. Mm -hmm. Yep. So he's going to do what he's going to do. Man, this movie. Okay. My second favorite part is the whole rest of the movie. Then I'm going to pick a second. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so much fun. Rewatching it. I thought, I'm going to rewatch this movie. And about five minutes into it, I'm like, I'm so happy. This ain't homework anymore. I'm just having a great time rewatching this movie. It's so good. Okay. We get back one more segment. We're going to talk a little bit about once that movie is now in the zeitgeist, it's part of pop culture, the lasting legacy it has had on pop culture in general. So stick around. We'll be right back. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend, and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. Don't touch that dial, because now the only place you can have a wild time with TV Zanius goes is weekday mornings on Fox. I'm ready, but are you ready for me? To wake up and smell my socks. <laughs> Say the magic words. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. And start your day with one wild and wacky fool. You're going to love it. Catch Beetlejuice Monday through Friday mornings only on Fox. Look at the legacy. I mean, one of the things that was almost like one of the characters in this movie was the house itself. You know, remember mm, like when mm, they made it mm. like when it was first original, right. then they made it all like weird and fancy. Right. Well, all that was basically they filmed it in this town in Vermont called East Cornith, which has a population oh, of like yeah. 926 people. <laughs> it's a wow, super nice small little, town. Little tiny town. Yeah. And they said that they still, but that was where they did it. It was supposed to be Connecticut or something, but they used that for the setting and they said people still come and visit to see like yeah. the hill where the I house was that. and sure. see a lot of the settings yeah. and stuff. Um, they had like people kept some of the fiberglass headstones they had to do for the fake cemetery um, in the movie. <laughs> but they said like people in the town now, they're kind of a little over it. It sounds like from what I was re- like, they're like, Oh God, tourists are back. You know, they come early yeah. fall, you know, they, <laughs> oh, take it. They got to take a picture on the damn hill, you know, <laughs> overlooking yep. the Beetlejuice yep. thing. But it's just funny that even to this day though, people still want to make that little trip and see this. Yeah. You know, like that there's a, there's a town, I think it's just outside of Cincinnati or whatever, where a Christmas story was filmed and the real mm-hmm. house is really there on the street. Right. And that's become, you know, and I remember I went and visited there when I used to travel a lot and you can go and visit the house and take a tour and they have it mocked up like it's actually in the movie. But all the people, it's just in a neighborhood. It's just down at the end of a street. It's not like, (laughs) you know, it's not on five acres for parking and everybody is like, you know, signs, don't park here, not Christmas house thing, whatever. (laughs) Because like you said, the people there in Vermont are probably sick of it because people just come and clog the town just to take their picture and and leave. But I could get why that would be irritating because I've seen it Mm -hmm. firsthand with that other place. Oh, for sure. Other things make a legacy. And one of the biggest parts of this legacy is Jesus Christ, there's going to be a sequel. I know. Holy crap. But I was shocked. Uh, yeah. So, At first, I was worried it was a remake. Yeah, no, no, it's a sequel. Yeah, it got announced sequel. on yeah. May 10th of this year, 2023. It's got a theatrical release date right now of September 6th, 2024. So, okay, let's see About year. like 10 months from yeah. when you're going to hear this podcast mm-hmm, for the first mm-hmm. time. I'm yep. really looking forward to it, mainly because Keaton, Ryder, and O'Hara have all been recast to reprise oh, their roles. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's your answer. No, she didn't die. O'Hara's character didn't die. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Now, some of the people obviously can't be there because they passed. But the thing that's going to be interesting is Lydia's daughter is going to be played by Jenna Ortega. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And there's also going to be probably the creepiest actor next to Joaquin Phoenix. Willem Dafoe oh, is going to be in this oh, goddamn movie. Oh, jeez. Oh, please tell me he's another... <laughs> 
<laughs> another uh, human exterminator. Like he could be another Beetlejuice yeah, I, I type mean, character. Couldn't he be? Possibly. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe the Green Goblin is dead now. And so maybe that character <laughs> is going to be in the... I'm a bit of a scientist myself, Oof. Beetlejuice. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm looking forward to it. I cannot wait for that. Oh, look, if it didn't have Keaton in it, I wouldn't be interested. But because he's in it, you'd have yeah. to have. Yeah. They say oh, he's yeah. directing? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't again. know anything about directing. No, I think it's Tim Burton. Oh, it's He's involved. He might just be executive producing, but he's definitely involved. I don't remember, but okay. I know he's okay. part of it. Yeah. They actually said that Keaton, I read an article, he wasn't really like enthusiastic about reprising his role until right. he got a look at what they were looking to do, and then he signed on. When I hear things like that, I'm like, oh, so it wasn't just a paycheck. There's something in the script that made the actor interested because Michael Keaton yeah. doesn't need the money. He's he's making rent, right? So right. he doesn't have to do this if he doesn't want. Yeah, he's got Marvel money now. Yeah, he does. But Tim Burton is directing it, by the way. He is. Okay. Yeah, yes. he was involved. I just looked yeah. it up. Yeah. I uh, had the wonderful opportunity to see uh, the Broadway production of Beetlejuice when I was in Manhattan a few years ago. And I always am worried, like, what are you going to do with it for a stage show and how is it going to be? And it was fantastic. I think it's oh, really? about to go on tour. It's off of Broadway now. It's about to go on tour. When that thing comes around, if you are at all apprehensive about... I don't know if I want to see what they do with Beetlejuice on a live production. Don't worry. It is so good. They take some license with it a little bit, of course, but it's the same kind of dark, weird, creepy thing that you would expect it to be. And the songs in it are, of course, this wasn't a musical movie, right. but the songs they do in it, they make sense and they drive the story. It's not just let's stop and sing and dance. It's a song about what's happening in that part of the film. And they make some slight cool. changes to the narrative okay. a little bit, but it doesn't deviate from the overall story. It, it's phenomenal. If you get a chance to see it, you should. And it, I'll see it again. If it comes to my town, I'll go see it again. It's just that yeah. good. Okay. Okay, cool. So um, do you remember the animated series when that came out? Uh, end of the eighties. Yep, it was never 80, watched it. Nine ninety one. I remember watching it because it was it was cute. Actually, was it was it? basically okay. it was Lydia and Beetlejuice, and they would go on adventures. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's that's that pairing you were talking about, George. Yeah, they're the exactly. Pair. Yeah, they're, they're the, the pair. pair. Yeah, and they said it ran for two years. It said no, not bad, or three years actually. So not a horrible run for an animated series back then. But it was mm -hmm. cute. No. You know, and I think Tim Burton was involved in that animated series as well too. So I think he had a little bit of his touch in it. So it was definitely mm, worth. Okay, you know, it was it was a good show. Yeah. You know, I read an article that was talking about the overall feeling of the film and what it was kind of doing. And they talk about how, and I didn't see this when I watched it, but it does make sense in this article. And it kind of, kind of, it's kind of deep actually, how the Maitlands had a pretty mundane life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were a single couple. They were taking a staycation. They weren't ex living an exciting right. life. They were staying home. They were looking forward to it. They were talking about maybe trying to have a child again, but they were a very, somebody said they were like a, the, the cleavers, right? They were just so Ozzy mm -hmm. and Harriet. They were just so plain and they were living this mundane life. And then when they die, there isn't something fantastical. It's yet another mundane existence to mm -hmm. learn the rules, read the book, go to customer support, wait in line. <laughs> how how basically that I read another another someone else said that essentially the afterlife when you had to go in was like going to the DMV, which is very much like right. what that waiting yes. room was like, is to say that like the afterlife is no different from life. And so don't wait for what's coming for something amazing to happen. You need to live your life when you're alive because there's no guarantee that the afterlife is going to be any different or any more special. It's just another mm -hmm. kind of mundane, run of the mill kind of stuff that you have to endure. And that was a pretty deep analysis of what Beetlejuice's overarching story was for me that I hadn't thought about. It's about death, but it's a commentary on take advantage of life because death might not be anything better, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, it reminds me of the scene when Lydia is talking to Beetlejuice and she's like, I want to be where you are. And Beetlejuice is like, why? Yeah, why? You don't want to yeah. be there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then he's why? Like, it was one of his few genuine moments. He's like, what? Like, right. why? You know? Because it, yeah. cause the the thing that she says to him is so unbelievable. He's like, what the fuck are you saying? Yeah. Don't yeah. you know how good <laughs> you have it right now? no sense at all. <laughs> yeah. You're living. I would kill to do that, right? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> You know, one of the longest lasting legacies of the film is something that probably a lot of people don't consider, and that's that it really brought the goth lifestyle into the mainstream and popularized it, right? Lydia mm -hmm. being in that all black outfit and the veil and everything. Mm -hmm. And by the way, she didn't just do that. She also, her character 
like because she was strange and unusual, she would repurpose <laughs> the other character's clothes in later <laughs> scenes. There's one scene where she's wearing as pants one of her father's sweaters that had been in a previous scene. There's another part where <laughs> she's got this head wrap kind of thing on her head, and that's actually made up of the gloves from her mother. And she does that throughout the film. <laughs> I didn't notice that. But I didn't either. everything is black wardrobe, pale yeah. face, kind of mm-hmm. goth lifestyle. And I know that we have seen a million comedians poke fun at the fact that goth people dress up as goth because they want to be different, but they're part of a movement that all wants to be that same right. black right. lipstick, right. black thing right. kind of thing. So it's conforming to the different is still conforming. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think Beetlejuice really helped bring it to a main part of America that it would have taken a longer period of time to catch up to that. Goth might've only been in a couple of places at that point until Beetlejuice mm-hmm. became this big popular movie and people across the Midwest and heartland of America said, oh, oh. I can dress in black and wear black lipstick and have black fingernail paint. <laughs> I want to do that because I'll be different. And it makes me strange and unusual? Yes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> After that movie, I mean, you saw it in all these movies. I mean, there were tons of movies uh-huh. we had goth oh, sure. teenagers, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. teenagers especially yep. coming yeah. in. So yeah, I, I didn't. it never occurred to me that this is like one of the first ones, you know, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Problematically, throughout the course of this backtrack, I'm afraid we have said Beetlejuice's name more than three times. So heaven knows what's happening outside of the walls of the studio. Craziness has probably <laughs> taken place. <laughs> Which, by the way, what an interesting mechanism. All you had to do was say his name three times, but you couldn't. We couldn't tell you his name. You, you had to place your raids to get it, which I thought was a cute part. <laughs> oh yeah, the but it was something <laughs> that we all knew as '80s kids because remember the whole Bloody yeah. Mary, in Bloody Mary, yeah. right. thing? same mechanism. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Just used to great effect. (laughs) Oh, love this film. Love that we had an opportunity to sit down together and talk about it. Fourth listener, we certainly hope you enjoyed this edition of the Backtrack. Before we leave, we want to send out, as always, a huge heartfelt thanks to everyone who supports us financially over at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. These are people that know that we do what we do for free and are still willing to help out for as little as a dollar a month. You also can support us financially. It means the world to us, just head over to genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. Both of those URLs I just use work and become <laughs> part of the army of people that are helping ensure we continue to bring you these shows. We certainly would appreciate it. That's going to wrap it up for this backtrack, guys. I have had a blast. <laughs> Listener, don't worry. We'll be back in two weeks with another one. Next week, we'll be back with a standard edition of our show. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Always fun, man. Fourth listener, though, it is you that we all appreciate most of all, and we cannot wait to talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? Gen X Grown-Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Unacceptable for grown-ups. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Okay, so we're going to get some email. Okay, what to do? She was not Miss Argentina. That's the character's name. Oh, really? Well, I misread yeah. that game. She's not. <laughs> I misread it as Patrice Martinez is Miss Argentina. She was the afterlife receptionist, but it's as, not yeah. is. So I, I right. misread it. And then I went off on yeah, a, I was like, went off cow, a tangent. Some, I was learning something else here for a second. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, there we go. We have a blooper. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, me being totally wrong to about those, that. Really. <laughs> In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. 